Uh, my name is Craig. I'm the preaching pastor here, and we're really glad uh, that you're with us. I'd love to connect with you if you'd like. Afterwards, I'll be out in, in the foyer, and we're just uh, happy to have you. Uh, you've probably already figured out we are not the coolest church in town. Uh, there, that goes to somebody else. Uh, every time I look at the mirror, I'm reminded I am not the coolest preacher around here. So... Um. But we're really trying hard to be the most Christ-like, the most loving church. That's our goal. And so if you're interested in a church that's all about loving God and loving people, uh, despite our faults and our flaws, and sometimes I think flaws are our spiritual gift, but um, we would love to have you be a part of us here at Generations Community. So, well, let's, uh, let's do that. We've been doing this a lot, but, but I'm the lead pastor. I'm supposed to get to do this. He is risen. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, we're kicking off a sermon series we're calling Very Good, Created uh, for the Good Life, and it, and it kind of begins with Easter. Uh, and in fact, this, this whole series uh, kind of flows out of a traumatic experience for me. I don't know if you've ever had a traumatic kind of life-altering sort of experience, uh, but, but I have recently had one of those that just changed my perspective on, on everything, and it came out of the blue. I didn't see it. I was never I- expecting it. And, and here's what happened to me. I had to admit I was wrong. Yeah. Some of you thought I was going to say cancer, didn't you? Yeah. And so those of you who don't know, I was recently diagnosed with cancer, uh, but God has been very good uh, through all of that. In fact, we had a, a, some test results come back this week. Um, that it has not migrated to my lungs, and so that's really, really good. Yeah, yeah, that's all God. That's all God. Uh, so thankful for that. My prognosis probably has moved from good to very good uh, at this point, and so hopefully this will just be a story one day we tell in a cool scar I get to show my grandchildren, if I ever have grandchildren. No, we won't go there, so... So my, my traumatic experience, though, was really that, that I, I was wrong, and it happened in an area of, of, of theology and, and, you know, preaching and all of those sorts of things, and, and it happened with someone who kind of challenged me and, and said to me, you tell the Easter story wrong, and I'm like, no, I don't, you know, I don't tell it wrong, I've been doing this a long time, I've been to a lot of school, man, I know how to tell the Easter story, and, and this person said to me, so you start in Genesis 2, don't you? And I'm like, well, of course you start in Genesis 2. That's the fall of humanity. And the whole point of everything else is to take care of that fall of humanity. You, you remember the story? Adam, you know, and Eve and the apple, well, not an apple because that's Washington. But apricot, Georgia. Nobody's here from Georgia, are you? Okay, apricot. He took an apricot and he ate it. And, and, and the, the fall of humanity. And he says, well, yeah, that's true. But that's not where God starts. And I'm like, oh, maybe we should start where God starts. And I'm like, well, okay, good point, good point, I, I get that. And he says, you should start in Genesis 1. And I'm like, Genesis 1? You know, oh, man. The, the first part of Genesis 1 is really great. In the beginning, God created, amen? We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I don't want to argue about how he did it. I don't care how he did it. I just know that God created the heavens and the earth. But after that, it gets a little repetitive. You know, I'm ADHD, and I'm not really good with that repetitive sort of thing. And so it's kind of hard for me. You know, it goes that, that first thing, you know, he created, and then it goes into this list. And it says, you know, he began by creating the dark and the light, and, and evening and morning, and it was the first day. And then... Then it goes into he divided the, the 
the water from the sky, and evening and morning was the second day. And, and then it goes into, he divided the water from the land, and evening and morning was the, the third day, and kind of on and on and on. And somewhere in there, my ADHD is kicking in, and I'm having a hard time following it, right? You know? So I'm like, let's just go to Genesis 2. But this person got a challenge to me, because right at the end is a really important part of the creation story uh, of Genesis. And, and uh, so uh, let me, let me kind of give this to you. Uh, I'm going to walk through Genesis 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1, and we'll be in Luke a little later on for the, for the resurrection story. But I kind of want, want you to see this, because this is important, uh, and it really has changed my perspective. My understanding of the end of the story hasn't changed, but my, study of the be- the, my understanding of the beginning of the story has a little bit. So Genesis 1, it starts with this, then God God said, let us make humanity in our image and in our likeness. You are created in the image of God. <laughs> Some of you don't sound too thrilled about that. You know, eh, okay, I don't know. You are created in the image of Almighty God. That is really good news. So, so turn to the person next to you and say, you look like God. Some of the teenage boys are saying, you look like a goddess to the girl next to him, but we'll, we'll just kind of move over that a little bit there. That's not what we're talking about, okay? You, you look like, you like God. And then it goes on, it kind of repeats it. So God created humanity in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them together. So you are created in God's image. Man and woman are, are created equal. And then there's, the next verse really is a, a powerful sort of one that I think I had missed for a long time. Uh, and that's 28. It says, and God blessed them. God blessed them. He created them as he blessed them. And, and this, is, this is a really powerful work in, in Hebrew. So in English, the word blessed gets tossed around. You know, how many of you have ever said when someone sneezed, God bless you? Yeah, that's not what's being talked about here, okay? This, this is much stronger than that. It really carries the idea of a formal situation and, and bowing down and, and really pronouncing God's goodness on, on them. So look to your neighbor and say, Almighty God has blessed you in your life. Now, I hope you believe what you just heard, because that is really true. This is the creation story. This is important to who we are and, and what we are all about. And then the next verse, 31, is where it really became challenging and has really kind of reoriented my understanding in some ways. Verse 31 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was, say it with me, very good. All along he's been saying it was good, it was good, it was good, and he gets to the end and he gets to the creation of humanity, and he said it was very good good. God saw you. God saw us and he pronounced blessing on you. He created you in his image and when it was all done, he stepped back and looked at you and said, I did good. You are very good. And that's so powerful, so meaningful to me. In fact, the the word for very there, the word means exceedingly. You are exceedingly good in God's creation and how he has made made you. And then uh, one commentary I read, for for all of you grammar Nazis, just hold on for a minute. This is going to irritate you a little bit. But one of the, the commentators said the word can be translated muchness. You are muchness good. Okay, all you grammar Nazis say muchness good. Ooh, there's a lot of you in here. <laughs> I'm going to have to be more careful. <laughs> and so I love that, that you are created very good, okay? In fact, I, I would say it like, like this. God built you for very good. You all rush to the second chapter when you think about the fall of man. But this is the way it's supposed to be. 
that you were built good, that you were designed very good, and that God has very good for you. This is what God has had from the beginning. You were designed and custom built for this kind of life. And I know when I use the words good and very good that I, I tap into some kind of cultural things that are out there. You know, if you, you watch TV and they talk about the good life, generally that means like a mansion and a Ferrari and a pool out back and, and a yacht. You know, think the Beverly Hillbillies. I'm dating myself there. But, you know, the, the very good life is more. And we live in a world where the cultural message is what will satisfy your soul is more. And maybe it's more money, or maybe it's more power, or maybe it's more celebrity, or maybe it's more fill in your poison, but, but somehow since more is what is going to make us happy, that's the cultural message. That's a lie. And if you've been around long enough, you know that more will never make you happy. It will never satisfy your soul. And so when I talk about the very good life, I'm talking about something different than that. I am talking about the life that Christ laid out for us. When he said, when he was asked to kind of bottom line the whole thing, he said, love God with your whole being and love the people around you like family. And in fact, in Matthew, he went on to say, all of your religion has to be built on this. Love God with your whole being. Love the fat people around you like family. What, what satisfies our life, what is the very good life, is this, this life of deep, connected love to one another. The life of, of deep friendships, of, of family, of framly, those friends who have become like family, that word we toss around here. That's the soul-satisfying life. That's the life-affirming life. That's the life that has meaning and, and significance. And, and God wants that for us. I, I don't believe that when Genesis 2 came along, Genesis 1 got tossed out. Genesis 1 is still the idea. He still wants the very good life for you. Well, you do really not sound very convinced in all of this. Okay, you want the bad life? You can have the bad life, but I'm going to talk about the good life for a while here. So let me say it again. God wants the very good life for you. Amen? I love Genesis 1 now. went from thinking it was uh, to, now, to now I love it. But you know what the problem with Genesis 1 is? Genesis 2. That's the problem with Genesis 1. It follows right after. In fact, if I could wrap Genesis 2 up, it would be this. We live in a deeply broken creation. Have you noticed? All you got to do is turn on the news and so much pain and suffering and, and people hurting each other on purpose, no less, and, and hurting people on accident. We have children pointing guns at other children, both in war and in our cities. We, we have hatred and broken marriages and broken family and broken kids and abuse, and it just goes on and on. Isn't this a blessing so far? You know, like, praise God, what a great sermon that is. The Bible has a word for all of that. It's kind of an old-fashioned word. It's a word called sin. And that, that word, I know that that kind of plays into a cultural thing again. It's a word that, that I have to be careful when I use it because the culture has kind of defined that. In fact, we live in a culture that's kind of turned sin upside down and almost make it like sin is the fun stuff. Sometimes I hear people talk, I don't want to go to hell because that's going to be where all my friends are. We're going to party. You know, that is not what hell's about. Okay. This idea that sin is a casual thing, or sometimes we, we kind of make it sin everything. I, I grew up in a really, really legalistic environment. We had a book with all kinds of rules in it and, and all kinds of things you couldn't do. And being ADHD, it's always hard for me to keep track of all the particulars. So I was kind of looking for a principle. And after a while, I decided the basic principle about what was sin and what was not sin was if it was fun, it was sin. That was, that was it. Anyone else grow up in that environment? You know, that's, yeah, that's, that's how it works. So, so when I say sin, I want to give you a definition that I'm not sure my college professors would particularly appreciate it, but I find that it resonates with me, and that is this. Sin is that thing you know deep in your heart is wrong. 
I'm not talking about, you know, the sins, the stuff your mama told you was wrong, right? You know, or, or your grandma grabbed your ear and drug you along because you'd sinned, you know. Or a preacher somewhere pointed their finger and said, repent at you. I'm talking about that stuff that you know deep down in your heart that was wrong. And I hurt somebody when I did that. Or somebody hurt me when, when they did that. The, the, those things that break relationships. Those things that you wish with all your heart you could take it back. If I could just take those words back. If I could just go back in time. When you start thinking if I could just go back in time, there's a pretty good indicator. If I could just take that back. And I, I find, I've been a pastor for a long time, I, I find that almost everybody has a secret file somewhere in their life. And inside that file is some of the things that they are most ashamed of and they're, they, they, they just so wish they could take those back. Maybe they haven't even shared it with their spouse or their friends, but, but there's some stuff in there that, that, it, that you would honestly call sin. Even if you grew up like me, you would say, that, that, that's sin in that place. And so there's some lies that come out of this world that we live in that is filled with sin that, that cause us in some ways to get engaged with that, that sin. And, and I, I think one of the primary consequences of, of all of that is, is uh, this. Oops, we jumped ahead there. Uh, we, live, uh, we live in broken sin. There we go. We were born believing we are orphans. I don't know if you've ever been associated with orphans, but, but orphans you know, are people that don't know who their parents are. They don't, they don't know who that is. And, and, and so I find that in our culture, so many people are born into this world not knowing that they have a heavenly father that loves them and wants them and cares for them. That they're orphans. They, 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 well, there is no God. That's, that's someone that, that's an orphan spiritually. They don't know who their father is. Or, or it's people that say, well, if there is a God, he doesn't care about me. Yeah, my life is, where was God when that thing happened? What happened? Where's that? You know, and so there's a sense in which we live in a world that we are surrounded by people that don't know that God is their father and that he loves them and that he cares for them and they're, they're lost. They don't, they don't know Genesis 1 that they, they are made in the image and likeness of, of God. And those words are pretty powerful. The word for image is, is this idea of, of, of looking like something. I call this the McGregor, McGregor principle because when I was growing up we had a family uh, in, in my, my grade school that were the McGregors. The McGregors were a good Irish family. They were all redheads and they all looked exactly alike. Even the daughter looked exactly alike. You could just, you know, there's a McGregor. You didn't even have to meet him ahead of time. You just knew that, that that's who we are. And, and so the idea when God says we're made in his image, it is this idea that when people look at us, they should see Jesus. That's why I tell you over and over again, spiritual maturity is not knowing more scripture or more theology. Spiritual maturity is about looking like Jesus about becoming like Jesus, about living like Jesus in the world. It would be so much easier if it were just about gaining more theological knowledge. I went to school a long time. I'd be in good shape. The Lord comes along and says, yeah, but that behavior, Craig. I, you are made in the image of the almighty God. And the second word, the word for likeness there, that's a deeper word than just the outward appearance. Uh, we would maybe think of it today as, as you have God's DNA, that thing that makes you who you are, the thing that, that makes your personality. And I, I think about this, I think about my daughter. I, I love my daughter. Lots of you have met my daughter. Uh, she does not look like me, for which she is very grateful. Um, 
but she has my personality. She has the female version of my personality. And those of you who know her go, yep, that's it. People get meet her and they're like, yeah, that's Craig's daughter, all right. It's just, she's got my, she's got my DNA. She's wired up like me. She thinks like me. She asks questions like me. And she's so much like me that sometimes we fight. She's wrong, but, but we fight sometimes, you know. Oh, I hope you're not watching, Jana. <laughs> You have God's DNA. It runs in your blood. You are created in the image and the likeness of God. You are a spiritual being and you are going to live forever. But there's a problem. And the problem is this. We are born addicted to sin. My, my mom was a nurse. Most of you know that. She taught nursing. She's very involved. The hardest thing over a very, very long career for her, she would tell you the hardest thing for her to deal with was what's called fetal alcohol syndrome. And that's what happens when a baby is born when a mother's been drinking through the pregnancy. And my mom was one of these very even-tempered people, rarely ever got, got angry, but that would make her angry. Because she would see that the sin of one generation was visited on the next generation. And here was an innocent child that would suffer for the rest of their life because of the sins of their parents. And, and so too today we have, we have crack babies. You all familiar with crack babies? Babies that are born already addicted to crack before they're... That, that's not fair. It's not right. It's not the way it should be. And yet it is. And I think about that, I, I think about the world we're born in. We are born addicted to sin. There's something in us that, that draws us to that which is destructive to our lives. That, that, that thing that, that tempts us to do stuff and we, we do it and creates secret files of things we wish we could take back. And we act just like addicts. You know, when, when we get caught in those kinds of things, we, we hide it. Have you ever known an addict? They hide the addiction, or we deny, I didn't do it, not, not me, you know, or we blame others, that woman you gave me, it's her fault, yep, it is, yeah. and if all that fails, we just carry the shame around with us, and I find so many people that are carrying shame around that nobody even knows about, and, and the reality is because of all that, that our sin addiction robs us of the very good life. It takes it away because it destroys all those things that are good. And God never intended it for it to be like that. He never intended for you to experience all of this. He never intended for you to feel abandoned by him. He never intended for you to feel shame and the, the, the twinge of, of sin in, in your life. He had so much more. He never intended for the wreckage that has come out of some of the things that you have done. And so God found himself in this horrible, horrible situation where his children had gone astray. So I, I just pause here for a moment. If you have children that are far from the faith and have gone astray, welcome to God's club. And I know you're carrying shame and you did your very best. I want you to know that God is with you. And we just keep praying for them, amen? We're going to send the Holy Spirit after them. That'll get them, you know. And so you can imagine that, that what it would be like. Imagine for a minute if, if one of your children were in this situation, if you found out you had a child that, that didn't know that you were their parent and didn't know that they had access to the life that you can offer them, the, the, the very good life, the life with love and support and warmth and caring, the life where their needs are met, the life where, where they're, they're loved and, and they love back and, and they're gone. And not only that, not only not know that you're their parent, they're, they're addicted to crack and they're in a gutter somewhere. And, and their life is just going downhill and there's so much brokenness and so much pain. I'm willing to bet that you would do what God did. And that is he went on a mission to bring them back. 
Amen? And, and I would be willing to bet that you would do what, what all of us to do, that you would, you would hold back nothing, all of your resources. It wouldn't matter whatever it took to bring them back. And that's exactly what God did in that situation. He came after us. In fact, this whole story that starts in Christmas and comes to a conclusion is e- in Easter is God's rescue mission for his lost children. Those who don't know who haven't experienced what most of you have experienced, to be a part of God's family, to know what it is to to be forgiven, to know what it is to have life in Christ. This is his story. And unfortunately, if you've ever worked with addicts, even when you're trying to help them, they often attack you. It's one of the crazy things if you get involved in that kind of urban ministry. And so ultimately, you know the story of, of, of Good Friday and all the pieces where, where even though Jesus came to help us, we attacked him in the midst of it. And if I could wrap Good Friday up, it would be like this. On Good Friday, sin won. I'm not sure whether that's good or not. <laughs> that is truth, that's for sure. That on Good Friday, sin won. The, 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 the hands that had been raised in, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's try that together. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes... That great high moment in less than a week is turned to a fist and it's crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And I've often wondered if there still wasn't the green stain of the palms on their hand in that moment. And in that moment we took Christ. It wasn't the Roman guards that did it. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the Jewish leaders. It was our sin. Amen. It was our sin that nailed him. And, I, and, and, and in that moment, I, I, I think the demons of hell rejoiced. We won. We killed him. We won. They drag him down off the cross. They drag him to the very pit of hell. And they chain him to the very lowest hell, to the floor right there. And the unholy party begins. And they celebrate and they dance and they have a great time through all of that. And they are just enjoying the rest of Friday and into Saturday. The party goes on and on and on. And then Easter Sunday morning comes along and they discover that that, that there's a little problem with their plan. And that is this. God always gets the final word. Yeah, it should have been a bigger amen than that. Let me try that. Because this is like resurrection that's coming. Okay, so God always gets the final word. Amen. Yes, let me read to you this story. And then I'll put part of it up at the end. It says, from Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bibles. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning. See, God likes morning people. The woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. I'm betting they did. And then listen to this. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. Let's say it together. Yes, and with those words, the whole world changed. But I got to tell you, I mean, it's like three words. You can almost read this as, yeah, he's risen, you know. So what? So, so I think, I, you know, my, my, my imagination, I know I have too much imagination. I just imagine that, 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 that in that moment that the Father has looked at it, and it's the third day and it's time for resurrection. And the Father looks down at Jesus in the very bottom of the pit of hell and he says, Arise, my son. And his words vibrate down through creation, down through the very pit of hell. And they land there where Christ is. And all of a sudden, chained down there, he begins to get a shoulder going and another shoulder going and starts to 
stretch and those chains begin to ping off, you know, boing, doing, 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 boing, doing, 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 boing, doing, 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 doing. I just like saying boing, doing, 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 doing. So pretty soon one of those boing, doing, 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 doing hits a little demon in the head, you know. It kind of opens his eye a little bit and sees Christ kind of coming out and that goes, uh oh. And pretty soon he comes out of that and there's chains going everywhere and demons going everywhere running for their lives. And he begins to march out of the bottom and march up through hell till he gets to the very gates of hell. One marked sin and one marked death. And I think like Samson, he just grabs them and throws them down and they're just scattered everywhere because he has broke the power of sin and death. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And he continues to march forward until he gets to that little grave in that garden and he inhabits that body again and all of a sudden he who had been crucified for our sins goes, <gasps> and he's alive. And forever the power of sin and death has been broken. Death is dead. And Jesus is alive. He is risen. No, no, too slow, too slow. Let's try that again. He is risen. Yes. In fact, we believe that Jesus' resurrection forever broke the power of sin and death. Amen? You should all be up dancing in the aisles. Yeah, I've seen some of you dance. Never mind. Let's not do that, okay? Here's the truth. Addiction to sin has no power over you anymore. You have been set free. We can live free. We can be different. We have a future because Christ rose from the dead. We don't believe this is just a casual thing. We believe the cosmic universe has changed because God has made it new again. The power that it had over us is gone, and ultimately we can be new. Somebody say amen here, okay, because this is good news. I've heard some of your stories. This is good, good news for us. Not only can we be made new, not only can the addiction be overcome, but get this, Jesus took the consequences of our sins in his death so we can be free from the shame of the past. Okay, I know you're your past. Some of you need to say amen a little more there. Some of you carry shame around. You do not need to carry shame around. You do not need to carry guilt around anymore. You do not need to carry all that stuff that went all that stuff in the background. You do not need it anymore because you have been cleared of the consequences of sin. Freedom from all of that in our lives. And so the good news is this. God's victory over sin and death opens the door to the very good life. It was locked before. There was no way in because of our addiction and because we didn't recognize that Christ was our Father and He wanted us back and He was welcoming us. That's what the prodigal son is all about, the bringing them back. The banquet table is set. Come, come, come to the banquet table. And I know that most of you here have already experienced that and you are followers of Jesus Christ. But I want to talk for just a minute to maybe some of you that you came because your mother asked you to come. I just want to say thank you very much. Appreciate you doing that. But I also want you to know that when I talk about the very good life, I, I, I think I understand this in ways I have not before. Most of you know that I had a diagnosis for cancer. And, uh, and uh, a very aggressive form of cancer, the kind of cancer that can take your life. And so once you kind of get through the initial you know, pieces of realizing all of that, and my boat kind of got righted again, I, I found myself reflecting on, on my life and wondering, you know, if this is the exit, what, what does this mean? What it, what, how will I look back on my life? And there was this amazing thing that happened in my life. I realized that if my time is over, if the clock is ticking on me and we're looking at months that I can step into eternity believing and knowing that I have lived the very good life. 
I'm not rich, I'm not powerful, I'm not famous, I'm certainly not pretty. But I am here to tell you that I have been blessed with the good life. I was raised in a great Christian home where they loved me. And if that didn't happen to you, you're going to do it for your kids. Amen? And I've been blessed with friends over my life that were good friends. I've been blessed with mentors that loved me and poured their life into me and cared for me. I I have been blessed with an amazing wife. Amen? Yeah, some of you have nominated her for sainthood. So I, I get that you get that she's... I have been blessed with wonderful kids. God has done so much in my life. And so if you are here today and you have not entered into relationship with Jesus Christ, I am here to tell you the very good life is real because I've lived it and God wants it for you too. And all you need to do is walk through the door. If our musicians could come, we're going to sing in just a minute. And I'm going to pray for you. And, and, and if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if, you, if you're looking at this going, that's what I want. There's so much brokenness in my life. I want God to fix that. I know I'm addicted to that. I want out of that. It, maybe you've achieved all the more stuff and you're going, it's hollow. There's no meaning. I'm telling you, meaning is on the other side of this door. And the door is open this morning because of Easter. And all you got to do is walk through I have a terrible analogy about this, and my, my theology professors would really hate this. How many of you have ever been through an automatic car wash? Yeah, isn't that cool? You give them the money, you go in, it comes out nice and clean. I kind of think of this door like this. You come in with all your sin and your past and your shame, and you pass through the door into the life that God has for you, and he washes you clean, and you come out the other side the way he wants you to be. Some of you, he's probably going to wax a little too, because, you know, it's a little work in there. If you want that this morning, would you ask him to come into your heart as I pray? And then we're going to sing a little bit and take an offering and that kind of thing. But I, I really want, I want to open the door. The door is open. I want to show you to the door. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I've said it as best I know how to say it. It's the most important message there is. Thank you for these good people that love you and are celebrating Holy Party on Easter. But Father, I pray specifically for that one this morning that's come. And they know they don't have this in their life. They know they don't have the very good life. And they want it. And they want to be free from the past and the addiction and the shame and the guilt, Father. I pray right now, Father, that the Spirit of the living God would speak to them and usher them into new life in Christ. And this morning, if you find yourself in that position, would you just say to God, Lord, I want to come home. I want to be back where you intended me to be. Come into my life, wash me, make me a new creation. And if you will do that, he will do that in your life right now this Easter morning. And when he does that, tell a fellow believer, we'd love to help you and support you and be a part of that. And so, Father, I pray now that you would bless them as they begin their new walk in you, Father, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you would protect them, Father, that you would give them uh, friends that they can share this with, Lord, and a church that can love them in the midst of all of it. Be glorified. Thank you, Father, for new life in Christ and for the very good life. And we ask this in the name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.